Well, it was on in the early morning hours of June 6, 1944, that one of the greatest secret plans in the history of all military was finally unveiled and unleashed. Because it was on that day, on June 6, 1944, that 157,000 Allied troops, over 5,000 ships, 822 tanks, 1,500, 1,500 tanks and 822 uh, warplanes, two tons of, of guns and ammunition were finally unleashed on the beaches of Normandy, France. It was a secret plan that had been in the making for more than a year, meticulously planned in every single detail in an effort to finally liberate the European continent from the death grip of Hitler and Nazi Germany. And it was a plan that was finally unleashed at just the right moment in time so that it would have the impact it was designed to have. You see, this plan, though the Nazis knew something was going on and the Allies were planning some kind of assault on the continent, they had no idea when, where or how it was going to take place. And they were trying to calculate how to defend the coast of France from the Allies. But it was very, very difficult because the Allies were able to keep the plan completely and totally secret. In fact, when they finally did unveil this plan and launch this assault on France, they did so in the middle of of a, a storm that the Nazis never thought anyone would be foolish enough to try to make a channel crossing and land all these troops. They also chose the flat beaches at Normandy that provided open fields of fire for the entrenched Germans there. The Nazis were totally unprepared. For that invasion. And as a result, 11 months after the Allies landed on the beaches at Normandy, France, GIs marched into the city of Berlin and declared freedom, declared victory in Europe. Just landing on the beaches didn't end the war. There was still 11 months of ferocious fighting. But once the Allies gained a foothold on the beaches, ultimate victory was assured. And the Germans knew that. They knew that they had been defeated and it was just a matter of time. Do you realize this morning, as we sit here, that we are involved in a very real war? I'm not talking about the war in Iraq. I'm not talking about the war against terrorism. I am talking about a spiritual battle of cosmic proportions. A battle that is for the souls of men and women. A battle that has eternal consequences. In fact, it's a battle that's very clearly depicted for us in Revelation chapter 12. And you don't need to turn there. But Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, I'm going to jump around a little here, but I want you to listen to what the Apostle John writes about this vision he saw describing this, this war. John says in verse 7 of chapter 12 of Revelation, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. 
and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. But woe to the earth and the sea. Because the devil has gone down to you, he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. That is the war that we are currently engaged in. Satan was cast down out of heaven and he knows his time is short and he is out to deceive the entire world. He knows that his battle is already lost, but he wants to take as many people as he can with him in that loss. But just as just as America and the allies had a secret plan that helped liberate Europe. God had a secret, mysterious plan that had been developed from eternity past to liberate us from the death grip of sin and a life of futility and eternal death. He planned it meticulously in every detail so that we could be completely and totally liberated live in freedom and joy and have the assurance of eternal life. And God's plan was designed in such a way that it would be unveiled and revealed at just the right, perfect moment in human history. Not a second before. It was kept totally secret, totally veiled, a mystery of mysteries. Until finally, at just the perfect time, God unveiled his mysterious plan. So what exactly is this secret battle plan that was planned from eternity past and finally unveiled that guarantees our ultimate spiritual victory? What's our role, if any, in this secret plan? What's the role of the church in this plan that God has unveiled? Well, in Ephesians chapter 3, That's exactly what the Apostle Paul talks about. So turn there with me. Ephesians chapter three. This morning, looking at verses one through 13. Because here Paul describes this mysterious secret plan for winning this war, this eternal war and how we should be involved. And I want you to listen to what Paul says about this plan. Chapter three, beginning in verse one, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promises of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. 
Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him, through faith, in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, as we look at these 13 verses here in chapter 3, we can really see three elements of God's plan of the ages. God's mysterious plan to liberate planet Earth from the grip of Satan who has been thrown down and has the entire world under his sway. He's not called the prince of the power of the air for nothing. Make no mistake, Satan is in control, in a sense, of this physical planet right now. In fact, when Jesus was tempted... In Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, and Satan took him up to that high place and said, look at, I show you all the kingdoms of the world. And if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give them all to you. Notice Jesus does not question Satan's authority to do that. He does not question whether or not Satan has the ability during this time to give all of that to Jesus. Jesus knows they will ultimately be his, but he's not going to take the shortcut that Satan offers him. But the plan that God had had kept hidden was ultimately and finally revealed in Christ. That's the first element of God's mysterious plan is his plan was revealed for us in Christ to defeat the enemy, Satan. And I want you to just listen again or follow along in verses one through six. Actually, I'm just going to start in verse two. Paul says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, when the time was right, this mysterious plan was unveiled in the person, the coming the work, the death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul refers here to the mystery of Christ. You know, that word mystery means obviously something that's hidden, something that's veiled, something that can't be understood or known. It's kind of the idea of a, a secret code or a secret plan that had been hidden. And Paul says that for thousands and thousands of years before Jesus Christ, for generations and generations and generations of human beings, this plan had been hidden and kept secret. 
No one knew what God had stored, not Israel, not the prophets. And finally, when the time was right, God revealed his plan in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that now God has made this mystery known to me. He's revealed it to me. He's enabled me to begin to understand the scope and the breadth and the beauty of this plan that God has developed and designed to liberate the earth from the death grip of Satan, to restore everything that had been lost as a result of sin and bring it back under God's control and ultimately God's ultimate rule. In fact, Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter four, verse four, he says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sunset to sonship. He says, but when the, the set time had fully come. When the time was absolutely right, Christ came into the world and God began to reveal and unveil this amazing plan of redemption and salvation for not just humankind, but for the very earth itself. And then in verse six, Paul really gets into exactly what that is, that mystery. In verse six, he says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ. God's mystery involved finally, after thousands and thousands of years and generations and generations of people living in alienation to God and not being able to have a relationship with him or to know him personally. God finally revealed in the person and work of Christ how every single person on planet Earth could know him personally and enter into a relationship with him and be joint heirs with Christ and receive all of the riches of God. Finally revealed in Jesus. And God says that he's going to take all of those people who receive this good news and he's going to create a brand new body, a brand new humanity, as we've seen in previous sections of the letter to the Ephesians. And he's going to make of them the church, the body of Christ on earth. And through the church, God is finally going to defeat Satan and liberate the earth and restore it to the original creation that God had designed. God's mysterious plan has been revealed in Christ. You know, have you ever wondered why as people we are absolutely intrigued and mesmerized by epic adventure stories that that depict, you know, uh, uh, a battle against good and evil where people overcome overwhelming odds to win the battle, to win the victory, to defeat the enemy or the wicked one or the evil one or whatever it is. It, it just seems to be almost an archetype of humanity, how we're drawn to those kinds of stories. I mean, think about all the, the different stories and myths. Think about Homer's uh, epic Greek poems of, of the Iliad and the Odyssey, of these great battles against good and evil, good overcoming evil. 
Think about all of the superheroes that we've created, Superman and Batman and Spider-Man and all of these stories where it's uh, some superhero with superpowers overcoming evil. I, it's always hard for me to believe that adults actually go and watch Spider-Man or Superman movies. I have a real hard time doing it. My kids kind of laugh at me, but there's something in most of us that just loves to see some superhero with these super, you know, spider web powers that can overcome evil. Yeah, all right. Movies like Braveheart, Schindler's List, even the Man from Snowy River, all the Star Wars series, all in essence depicting this battle of good against evil and good ultimately winning out. Have you ever wondered why it is that we're so drawn to that? I really believe it's because God has created us really as human beings in his image and his likeness with that built into our DNA. There's a part of us at some level that wants to be a part of that kind of epic adventure that will overcome evil with good. You know, the reality is we are in living right now just such an adventure. God has called us to be the ones as the church who overcome evil with good. We are living that kind of battle right now in this kind of parenthesis from the time that Satan was cast down to the time that Christ will return. It's like the beaches hitting Normandy and we're living right now in that 11 month period of time before Berlin is liberated. To us, it might seem like a long time, thousands and thousands of years, maybe. It's already been 2,000. But you know, to God, from the time that he sent Christ to the time that he will be victorious and all of his enemies will be made his footstool and we will all be ultimately liberated, to God, it's like a blink of an eye. Because it's it's assured. And God unveiled all of that and included us in his plan When he revealed Jesus Christ and made available to us a relationship with him and a place in the church that is God's primary instrument in overcoming evil and the enemy. And Paul wants us to know that we have a place in that plan. In fact, that's where he goes next. That's the next element of God's plan. And that is that God's plan is made plain by Christ's followers. Our role in God's plan is like Paul now to make this mystery known, to make this plan plain to everyone around us. Look at what Paul says in verses seven through nine. He says here, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. You see, our role in this plan is to make it plain to everyone else out there. It's our responsibility to share with people and to let them know how God is going to liberate and free and save and redeem them and this world. And I guess the question for us is, how do we do that? How do we best make that plan known 
and make it plain to other people. I mean, can you imagine having that task, that incredibly glorious task of making God's eternal plan, a plan that had been hidden from the angels even, now finally unveiled, and we know what it is, and we have the privilege of making that known, making it understandable and plain to all people. I mean, that's an amazing task. And it's a task that God hasn't given us to lay a burden or a guilt trip on us. God hasn't given us the gift or the blessing of sharing his good news to make us feel guilty or to make us feel burdened or like we never measure up. And so why is it, I wonder, that when it comes to making the gospel plain, sharing the good news of God's eternal plan, why is it that it most often results in a sense of being burdened, a sense of fear and foot dragging on the part of Christ followers? I mean, one of the hardest things it seems to do in the church is to motivate Christians to share their faith, to make the gospel plain. Why is that? When God has given us this incredible gift, this incredible privilege of making his plan known to the world. Well, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that is more than a more of a burden sometimes than a blessing is because I think oftentimes as the institutional church, we have turned sharing the gospel into an kind of an unnatural kind of plan that or program that we're supposed to share. Rather than simply living out the gospel of Christ in the world, in our families, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. You see, making the gospel plain is not just about talking about it. It's about living it. If all we do is verbalize the gospel, but don't live the gospel, it's going to be very, very ineffective. People need to see it in action, not just hear about it. Now, I'm just going to talk about me here for a minute, but there's nothing more unnatural, nothing more unexciting to me than getting to know a person over a period of months, befriending them within the back of the mind, my mind. At some point, I'm going to drop my gospel bomb on them. And I kind of, you know, you know, I've, I've singled them out and I'm going to become their friend for the purpose of. You know, saving them from hell and dropping my gospel bomb. And so I get to know them and we become friends, sometimes under a kind of a pretense, which ultimately might be good, you know, eternally good. But there's nothing more unnatural to me than over lunch or sometime all of a sudden pulling out a pamphlet or a tract and then giving them a pre-rehearsed, you know, speech that I'm half convinced they're going to reject anyways. That is not fun. That is not natural. And I don't think it's necessarily how God intended us to make the gospel plain. We're supposed to make the good news and the gospel plain by living it. And let me tell you, it is much easier to just pull out a track and share it and leave it with them or leave it in place of a tip and then go off rather than actually living out your faith in the nitty gritty of this sinful fallen world. What our world needs to see is Christ followers who live like Christ, who love like Christ, who forgive like Christ, who serve like Christ, who sacrifice themselves for the people that hate them, who forgive their enemies and pray for the people that curse them. That's what Christianity is about. 
That's what it means to make the gospel plain. You know, one of the periods of the church where the church grew the absolute fastest was the first 300 years of the church. And that is known as the period of the martyrs. Because people were literally dying for their faith, going to their death, singing praise and hymns to God because they had the incredible privilege of sharing in the sacrifice of Christ. That was making plain the amazing good news of the gospel that people could do that. And people saw that. They said, wow, you know, how could I live that kind of life? It's easy to talk the Christian talk. And that doesn't necessarily make it plain to people. But when people see genuine Christ followers living out the good news every day in every way, that's what makes it plain. When the church of Jesus Christ begins living that Calvary kind of love, Sacrificing ourselves for our enemies, praying and truly loving the people that in some respects despise us instead of arguing against them and trying to, through all the traditional channels of power and influence and politics, trying to win the culture wars. When we just start living like the church. Living like Christ, it will start to make the gospel truly plain to people. Has anyone here ever tried to cast a fly on a fly rod? You ever tried to do something like that? I tell you, when I was learning to cast a fly on a fly rod, it was incredibly difficult. I read all kinds of books on how to do it. And, you know, there were even kind of pictures in the book. You know, you go from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Don't let your elbow out too far. Keep your wrist kind of stiff. You know, I mean, and by the time you get done reading all of these instructions, you know, you're kind of just all tied up in knots. And I tried and tried and tried. And I would just get the thing tangled up in my hair and in the bushes. And, oh, it was miserable. Until finally I had a friend of mine actually spend a day with me and show me. I just stood there and watched him cast that fly on a fly rod, a thing of beauty. And as I just watched him, it all became plain and I could just mimic him. And all of a sudden, I began casting a fly on a fly rod. You see, we are to be mimics of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christ follower, not to talk a conservative kind of talk and a Christian kind of talk, but live like everyone else in the world. It means to mimic Christ in every single aspect of our lives. And as we mimic Christ, it is going to make the good news plain and people will see, oh, that's what it means to follow Christ. That's what the good news is all about. A much more costly way to share the gospel but much more natural. And I'll tell you what, much more exciting to get up every day and know today I have the opportunity to live like Christ in a fallen world, to love the people that curse me, to forgive the people that have grudges against me, to be Jesus to the world. 
That makes the gospel plain. And, and that's really the second element of God's plan is that it's made plain by us, Christ followers. And if we're not doing it, no one else is. It was revealed in Christ, but then it's been given. We've been given the task to make it plain to the world. And then the third element of God's plan is that this reality is displayed through the church. Ultimately, how God's plan works and what he has done to redeem mankind is ultimately and fully displayed and manifested in the church itself. Listen to what Paul says here in verses 10 through 13. He says his intent, that's God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He's talking here even about the prophets and the angels who for generations longed to understand what God was going to do to redeem the world. That he would, that it should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished. Notice that's past tense. That he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You see, it's the role of the church, Paul says. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known and displayed to the world. What is the manifold wisdom of God that he's talking about? That word manifold literally means very varied. It means uh, to be comprehensive, many sided, many faceted. The wisdom of God is displayed through the church. Now, if you were God or if I was God, how would we go about probably redeeming the world and defeating this fallen angel, Lucifer? Well, we might very well just kind of wipe him out, you know, or we might want to wage war, use some of the, you know, the, the traditional sources of power to do that. But in God's wisdom, he didn't do that at all. God took a very non-traditional cross or countercultural kind of strategy instead of God just wiping Satan out. He came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, born of a teenage mother in a no name town. Jesus came to the world as a human, a person of really no account, not anyone spectacular or special from a human perspective. And he grew up in the home of a carpenter. And then he came and he didn't have any kind of political revolution. He didn't create an insurgency or a guerrilla war with the zealots to try to win back freedom from Rome and defeat the evil forces. That's not how God decided to do it. In God's manifold wisdom, he designed a plan that was just totally different than anything anyone would expect. And Jesus came to earth as a sacrificial servant who healed the sick and fed the poor and ministered to the lame and spent time in prisons. And he fellowshiped with the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax gatherers and the outsiders and the outcasts. In fact, the religious leaders of the day accused him of being a, a wine bibber, a drunkard, a friend of prostitutes. 
But through his love and through his service and through his sacrifice, ultimately, of his very life. At the time when it looked like evil had finally won, Satan had finally won and the Messiah had been crucified and died. Even the disciples wondered if God would win ultimately. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And the world has never been the same since. And see, God has chosen that his plan be displayed in a similar way through the church. God's plan is not that his church would engage in all the traditional means of power and influence to win the world. That's not how we're going to do it. We're not going to do it through this world's systems. We are going to win the world for Christ and make plain the gospel by being totally different community. Living a radically different kind of life across, I mean, a totally countercultural kind of life. And by doing that, the church displays the manifold wisdom of God. For thousands and thousands of years now, 2,000 years, the church has survived. No army, no political power, none of the traditional influences. And even though armies and nations have tried to stamp out the church of Jesus Christ, no one or nothing has been able to. And nothing will. And we display to the world that God's way and God's wisdom is so much better than the wisdom of the world. God's plan was revealed in Christ. God's plan is to be made plain by us as Christ followers, showing people what it means, what it looks like. And then... It's to be displayed through the church. We display the incredible wisdom and majesty of God and how he does things completely different than we do. You know, just by way of an action step this week, let me just encourage you to think about this week. When you think about sharing the gospel, when you think about making the good news known, how does that make you feel inside? Does it make you feel anxious? Does it make you feel fearful Fretful, nervous, or does it make you feel excited, make you feel energized, like you can't wait to get up the next morning to live your life in a way that makes plain the gospel of Christ? You see, if it makes you nervous and fearful and causes you to drag your feet, you need to know that as a follower of Christ, that is not normal. That's not how you should feel. Now, are there times we're going to have to share the good news and make it more plain with our our voice and share words? Absolutely. There will be those times. But first and foremost, we need to be living it. And I encourage you this week to every day when you get up, think about sharing your faith as going out and living it in every aspect of your life in how you treat people, how you love people, how you serve people. And I think it will change the way you feel about making God's mysterious plan known to the world. Make you excited to be that proclaimer of the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible gift that you've given us to make known this mystery to the world. A plan that had been hidden for ages and ages, from generations and generations of people. But Father, when the time was just right, you revealed it in Christ. And now, Father, you have called us, his followers, to make it plainly known to the world. And the best way we can do that is simply by following Christ, by living like him. 
Father, we pray that you would empower us by your spirit and enable us by your spirit to do that. In Christ's matchless name we pray. Amen.